0: Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 136. to read this entire psalm and at the end of it I want you to see if you can tell what the theme of the psalm is okay give thanks to the lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting give thanks to the god of gods for his loving kindness is everlasting give thanks to the lord of lords for his loving kindness is everlasting To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule the day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and brought Israel out from their midst, for his loving kindness is everlasting, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. For his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote great kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And slew mighty kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And Og, king of Bashan. For his loving kindness is everlasting, and gave their land as a heritage, for his loving kindness is everlasting, even a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and has rescued us from our adversaries, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who gives food to all flesh, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his loving kindness is everlasting. I bet you could guess the theme of the song. (laughs) How many times do we need to be told something in order to remember it? If you're a parent, how many times have you said, How many times do I have to tell you? right?" In business and marketing, there's something called the rule of sevens. Here in business and marketing, the rule of sevens, where the line of thinking is that something must be advertised at least seven times for the consumer to remember it. In 1890, a man named Thomas Smith wrote a book entitled Successful Advertising. He submitted that you needed to let people know 20 times what your product was in order for them to purchase it. Later in nineteen sixty-five, Herbert Krugman, in his address to the American Association of the Public Opinion, stated that with the advent of television, people only needed to be informed three times. Now, we understand the power power of familiarity. If anything, the last two months of driving down the street informs us of the power of familiarity by seeing all of the signs along the road. Vote for so-and-so, vote for so-and-so. And so when you get into the voting booth, you may have no clue who it is that you're voting for, but you recognize that name. County clerk, don't know what they do, but I recognize that person's name. Vote success. We understand the power of familiarity. But is this what God is doing? Is this what he's doing in this chapter? Saying something over and over and over again, just because we forget. So in hopes that the nation of Israel and then us several thousand years later would remember. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we read that all scripture is God-breathed. And if something is true, it's this. God never wastes his breath. And so if he says the same thing 26 times, then we need to hear it 26 times. Not 25. Not 3. 26. Ki has hesdo. That's what the Israelite nation would have said over and over and over again, ki la'olam hesto. That's Hebrew, by the way. This was written in Hebrew, translated into English. Lest you think that all of a sudden I started speaking differently. This is what they would have said, ki la'olam hesto. If you were to listen to this passage, Psalm 136 in Hebrew, you wouldn't recognize much, but you would recognize that phrase over and over and over again. In fact, the way that this was recited was that you would have a priest give the first part of the sentence, and then the congregation would respond with the same phrase over and over and over again. Now, today, I'm simply going to give you really what this psalm says and make some basic applications. Because the theme is so clear, it's so obvious, because it's been said so often. So, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to ask four questions. The psalm was written to Israel, but certainly profitable for us. So, the four questions I'm going to ask are, what should we do? Who should we thank? For what should we thank him, or what should we thank him for? And why should we thank him? Okay. What should we do? Well, this passage gives us a statement right at the beginning that tells us we are to do something. It says in verse 1, Give thanks. Give thanks. That is what we are to do. It's appropriate, right? Thanksgiving weekend. And as we've read this chapter, we read the phrase, For his loving kindness is everlasting, over and over and over again. But the thing is, when you look at the grammar of this passage, give thanks is assumed all throughout. Give thanks To the Lord, verse 1. Give thanks to the God of gods. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord. And then when we get to verse 4, we just read, to him. It's assumed that the congregation is going to continue to give thanks. So even though we read the same phrase 26 times, we could have read, give thanks, 26 times. Because that's the assumed response of the congregation. To give thanks. Now, giving thanks, simply, is an act of appreciative dependence. Appreciative dependence. It's different than praise. Often you see thanks and praise kind of wed together. You know, when you think of something that is praiseworthy, praise is something celebrated for its inherent value or worth, though it may not necessarily benefit Or impact you, per se. So, for example, if I'm looking at a painting and I praise the painting for its beauty. Well, that painting hasn't done anything for me. It just exists. If I never see it, it's still beautiful. Albert Einstein, who I've never met, we could praise, I don't know if any of you have met him, we could praise him because he's a genius. We might thank him for his contributions, if perhaps our field of study relates to what he did, but... We can still praise him. He's a genius. Thanks, on the other hand, is appreciative dependence, meaning this. It's recognizing and believing, recognizing and believing that what you have is not from yourself, and that you welcome it for its value. I'm not trying to overbake thanks. But it's important to understand the nature of appreciation and the nature of giving. Meaning, I didn't have this, and now I do. Someone gave this to me, or something did something for me. And I appreciate it for its value. In the New Testament, we're told to give thanks, but the New Testament adds a little flavor to it. Give thanks for all all things If you're familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 in everything give thanks for this is God's will Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 says that the Christian the believer is to give thanks for all things at all times Now there is if I can put it this way nothing excluded from all Meaning that there is all, and all is everything. So when I'm told to give thanks for all things, that's all things. So what are we to do according to Psalm 136? We are to give thanks. Simple question, simple answer. Question number two. Who should we thank? I'm sorry, this is why you don't bring a laptop up to the... At least mine's staying on. Pastor Tim's did not. Mine's just chirping at it. Should, what should we do? Give thanks. Number two, who should we thank? Well, verse one answers this question. Who should we thank? Give thanks to the Lord. Again, nothing complex. Not trying to overbake it. But the implications here are very significant. Give thanks to the Lord. And in fact, there's four verses in this chapter that make it clear who we are to thank. Very specific. Verse 1. Verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods. Verse 3. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. And then the end of the chapter. Give thanks to the God of heaven. The psalm is specific in the command to give thanks to the Lord. In fact, as you read the Bible virtually every mention of the phrase give thanks is directed to God. I went through my Bible dictionary and I tried to find a commandment for us to give thanks to one another. And I couldn't find one. And I, I'm, it may be there, and those of you who are, are about that thing, go look for it. That's fine. But what I did find is an abundance of commandments to give thanks to God. Now, to be sure, we teach our children, say thank you. Pastor Mark Mavar, last Sunday evening, spoke on giving thanks and how it's something that doesn't come naturally in our sin nature. We have to be taught to do this. But the Bible here and elsewhere repeatedly commands us to give thanks to God. At this time, a time of thanksgiving, you say, why? I mean, it's it's pretty basic. We understand we're supposed to give thanks. But in a Christian community, it's important that we appreciate the command to give thanks to God. Because frankly, our community is good at a general sense of thanksgiving. I mean, I don't know that you have to be saved in order to sit around a table at Thanksgiving and say what you are thankful for. A lot of believers and unbelievers do that. What will distinguish the believer from the unbeliever, though, is the recognition that God is the source of these things. What I mean by this, what I mean is this. Thankfulness is more than just a feeling or a sentiment. Thanks is necessarily a two-party system where someone has to be thanked rather than just feeling thankful. Like, I feel thankful. My belly's full of turkey. I'm thankful. I'm with my family. I'm thankful. The weather's nice. We go for a walk. I'm thankful. My needs are supplied. I'm thankful. But all of those things an atheist can do. No. We are commanded four different times in this chapter alone. Give thanks to God. Now, The importance of this commandment is, it can't be overstated because of the consequences of getting this wrong. say, man, you're making a big deal of this. Well, let me use an illustration. Okay. So when a philanthropist, someone who's very wealthy, and they give a lot of money to something, or uh, an institution, you know, they might donate millions upon millions of dollars, and as a result, that institution names a building after them okay so if you go to a college any university there's probably some building with a person's name on it and and they were perhaps a a wealthy donor okay um, you think if you go into downtown cleveland you have severance hall named after the severance family you have sideman cancer center right you have Lerner tower it was Jacob's Field, now it's a progressive field, but the place where the Cleveland Indians were, is named after individuals. Why? Because they did something, they gave something, and as a result, those institutions were named after them. Now, those names are pretty significant, right? What if those names were removed? What if those names were taken off? So no longer you have Severance Hall, you just have Hall. Concert Hall or you just have Cancer Center. Don't you think the Seidman family or the Severance family might have something to say about that? Isn't it appropriate that we have... I'm sorry. (laughs) Isn't it appropriate that we have recognition given to, to where recognition is due so that you have this name representing something that... This person gave or or this person did. If we omitted their names from the buildings, credit wouldn't be given where credit is due. Worse yet, if we put someone else's name up there, just any old name, that would be even worse. Why? Because someone else's name doesn't describe who really should be thanked. Does that make sense? This is why giving thanks to God is so important. Because if there is something worse than not giving thanks, it's giving thanks to the wrong individual or the wrong person. It's giving thanks in a way that shows thankfulness but to the wrong individual. What do I mean by that? Well... Let's look at Romans chapter 1. What does this look like? Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his, God's, invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they, his creation, is without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or what? Give thanks. Now, having your finger there, look back at Psalm 136. Verse 4. To, to him alone who does great wonders for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights. What are we reading about? We're reading about creation. And what unbelieving mankind has done is they've failed to give him, the creator, thanks for what he has done. Instead, back in Romans chapter 1, they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. We are called to thank God for his creation, Yet many attribute his creation to something other than God. He made the heavens with skill, verse 5 says, with understanding. Psalm 19 tells us as much, right? The heavens declare God's glory. We see creation, and as a result, we should see God. And yet, the unbeliever, perhaps the pure naturalist, would look at that and say... Whatever caused that, that's not God. This is what Israel did when they were delivered from Egypt. Back in Psalm 136. Verse 10 To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn. For his loving kindness is everlasting, and brought Israel out from their midst, for his loving kindness is everlasting. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting. We see God doing all of these things and worthy of thanks. And yet, what we also see is Israel when Moses is on the mountain and he's receiving the law and he's gone for a certain number of days. What does the nation of Israel do? They erect a golden calf and say, This is the one who delivered us from Egypt. What insanity! What insanity! How can we avoid the same mistake? I mean, we think, that's got to be ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Well, how can we avoid this same mistake? Having a sense of thankfulness, but not thanking the God of heaven. Well, maybe if I can use a point of comparison. In the past few years, there has been a movement in our country, even in our world, where monuments of historical figures have been torn down. They were set up years ago, and they've been torn down. My point isn't to say whether that's a good thing, but my point is saying that at some point in time, this individual or this event was celebrated, but now is no longer being celebrated. Can I tell you there are monuments in my life and there are monuments in our lives that as Christians, we must continue to tear down. And let me be specific. It's the monument of, I deserve the credit. I deserve the credit when someone else gets praise and I don't. I deserve the credit when my hard work is overlooked. I deserve the credit when my success is underappreciated. I deserve the credit when my expectations aren't met the way I thought they would. I deserve the credit. That is a monument that we must continue to tear down in our lives. Why? Because we are now asking for thanks to be given to something or someone when it should be given to God And it will be an area of Maintenance our entire Life because We want the thanks We want The recognition We want the significance And yet Psalm 136 Give thanks to God Give thanks to the Lord Of lords so, what do we do? We thank God. Or what... Number three, what should we thank him for? In one thirty-six, Psalm 136, he gives us three different areas where we can give him thanks. First of all, we thank him for his brilliant, creative acts. His brilliant, creative acts. I say brilliant because of verse 5. To him who made the heavens with skill, he used wisdom to make the heavens. Earlier we mentioned the notion of giving thanks to the wrong thing. Here's another example of something the unbeliever can't fathom. When we see God's brilliance displayed in creation, we recognize his steadfast love for us. Notice, to him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. So when we walk on a moonlit night, like last night, clear night, stars were bright, moon was shining, and we see the brilliance, you know what else we see? God's love. Something completely detached from a material way of looking at the earth. We see God's love. And we see it lasting forever. We see his brilliant, creative acts. We also see his guidance and protection He guided and protected Israel as they navigated their way through the wilderness. But then we also see God protecting Israel from those kings and those leaders who would raise themselves up against Israel. There's two kings in particular, Sion and Og. Og just sounds like the bad guy, doesn't it? You know? In Numbers chapter 31, you can read of the accounts of Sion. And Og, and how they rose up against Israel in an unprovoked fashion, and yet God protected them. We also see in verses 23 through 25 God's provision. We are to thank Him for His provision. In verse 23, there's a shift in the wording here who remembered us in our low estate. Verse 24 and has rescued us from our adversaries. The shift here is at one point looking fr- looking at a historical past and now looking at to at the present, where the psalm writer is saying what God has done for us. He has provided. In verses 10 through 22, the mindset of the Israelite congregation. Would have been this is what God did for them. Whereas in verses twenty three through twenty-five, it would be this is what God has done for me. For his loving kindness is everlasting to me. We don't have time to look there. But in Psalm 135, we have a, a companion psalm to this chapter. Where there's so many similarities to what the Psalm writer is saying. Psalm 135 describes God and his creative acts, describes God delivering Israel from Egypt, describes God delivering and providing for Israel once they reach the promised land. But we finally get to the phrase that we mentioned or that we said 26 different times. Why should we thank him? This is the point of the psalm. This is the theme of the psalm. It's interesting, and I don't know if your brain did this, but when I was reading the psalm, I was studying this, it's almost easy to not hear that phrase anymore. You know, like, after, like, seven or eight verses, you're just like, got it. Yep. Okay, so what's the next new phrase? Right? For his loving kindness is everlasting. Okay, I know that's there. But then, okay, what's the next thing? And you almost stop hearing it. Which is completely the opposite of what the psalmist was trying to get across. He wanted them to hear it and to say it and to believe it again and again and again. This phrase should not be viewed as interrupting the flow of thought. This phrase isn't just found here in Psalm 136. It's also found in Psalm 106, the exact same phrase. Psalm 107, Psalm 118, Psalm 100... 1 Chronicles sixteen thirty four when David ruled. 2 Chronicles 20, when David had passed on and Jehoshaphat was ruler. And then even at the restoration of the temple in Ezra 3, this phrase would have been quoted by the people. It was something that they were very familiar hearing. It would be, it's not equivalent in meaning but equivalent in frequency to a amen or praise the lord you just hear it you just said it now i thought about having us reading this in the responsive reading like having me read the first phrase and having you all read that same phrase but it's it's really weird depending on your translation you may have something different in fact i looked at probably seven or eight different english translations and each one was different in this phrase for example the king james version says his mercy endureth forever if you have the niv it says his love endures forever the new english translation of the net bible says his loyal love endures the holman christian standard bible says his love is eternal The ESV says his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, the translation that we read from here, it's the New American Standard. There's actually two different versions of the New American Standard. There is a new one published in 2020. And it's different than the previous one published in 1995. The one I read from is the 1995 version, and it's his loving kindness is everlasting. But if you have the 2020 version, it says his faithfulness is everlasting why all the difference it's the same phrase and it's used elsewhere in the bible why so much difference well what's happening is that each translation wants to capture the broad message what's the gist right but each translation also has a specific approach to the nature of that message God's love is for all time, but it is rooted in his covenant with his people. And this is essential. His love or his loving kindness is rooted in the covenant that he has made with Israel. The covenant that he first made with Abraham in Genesis 15 and 17 and the covenant that he made with Moses and Israel in Exodus 19. When God makes a covenant, he can be trusted to keep the terms of that covenant. And his loving kindness is a covenant loyalty. And so depending on your English translation, the editors, the translators, were trying to make a point of emphasis. Some emphasizing that covenant loyalty or that faithfulness. So you think about the covenants that we make as human beings, okay? Two come to mind in particular. Marriage, and then like last will and testament. Right? Marriage covenant, where husband and wife say their vows to one another, a covenant before God, a covenant before witnesses. Right? You think of a last will and testament, it's a covenant that has legal ramifications, agreements, who's going to be getting what. God made a covenant with Israel and he intended them to rest secure in his love and faithfulness that were behind that covenant. So when he made a covenant with them, it would be akin to a husband and a wife making a covenant to one another. Or it would be akin to a last will and testament where there's going to be something left and that estate is binding. Things can't be added, things can't be subtracted, it's binding. It's binding. And God made a covenant with Israel. And his love undergirded that agreement. And this covenant was for all time. It was everlasting. Marriage covenants are not everlasting. Last wills and testaments are not everlasting. They end. God's covenant, though, was everlasting. God's covenant, his loving kindness, is everlasting. Look at Psalm 137. Psalm, right after Psalm 136. Remember, God's covenant, God's loving kindness, is everlasting. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we we wept, there we sat and wept, When we remembered Zion, upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion! How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Psalm 137 is fast-forwarded Psalm 136 a few hundred years. God's loving kindness is everlasting. Whether Israel was in Jerusalem, worshiping in the temple, or whether the nation of Israel was in captivity, where they were being mocked by the Babylonians who had raised their city, raised like cut it to the ground. God's loving kindness is everlasting regardless of circumstance. We can say God's loving kindness is everlasting at a Thanksgiving meal when all seems to be right. But God's loving kindness is everlasting when all seems to be so very wrong. Everlasting is for all time. Past, present, future. At the beginning beginning of today, I asked you how many times you needed to hear a message in order to remember it. Really is a bad question. How many times do you need to hear a message in order to believe it? Do we believe what we read 26 times? Do you believe that God's loving kindness is everlasting, that his love endures forever? Because this is the foundational truth upon which we give thanks to God. Our thankfulness is kind of like the walls and the roof. But the loving kindness of God is that foundation upon which we build. And if we don't have that foundation, we have no true thanks. Though we are not Israel, the God who is faithful and loving to Israel is loyal to what he promises us. Let's look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Verse 16. We didn't have to turn here for many of you, but I wanted to so that you could look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's loving kindness is everlasting. And we see it vividly in the person of Jesus Christ who so loved us and gave himself for us so that we might have eternal life through him. Do we really believe that God's loving kindness is everlasting? The second question I want to leave you with today is or not the second question, but the second statement here, is that God wants your worldview, God wants your worldview to be saturated with this truth. We have it 26 times in Psalm 136. There's a saturation of this chapter in this truth. In our lives, our worldview should be saturated. Okay, and you think of saturated. Think of, like, you have a a cup of tea. You put sugar in it and you stir up the sugar, right? There's only so much sugar you can put in there before the tea becomes saturated with sugar. There's only so much that will actually dissolve. Eventually, what's it going to do? It's going to settle out, right? If you leave it alone, it will settle out. That tea is saturated. There's sugar in there. And then it naturally settles out. Why does the sugar settle out? Because that's what's in it. Every event in Psalm 136 was included for a reason. God, like I said before, doesn't ever waste his breath. And when he mentions all of these details that Israel is to rehearse, each one is for a specific reason. And the underlying cause for every event was included for that reason. Even if that reason is the same every single time. Lots of different events... All for the same reason. His loving kindness is everlasting. So that Israel would be saturated as they look at each one of those things. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. It would saturate them. Saturate their thinking. Saturate their perspective. And what would that look like then? Well... That's where we come full circle. What it would look like is giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God then, which is the response to all of life. The good, the bad, the ugly. In everything, give thanks. Giving thanks in all things. When we thank God We thank God for the privilege of eternal life, and we thank God for the privilege of suffering for his name in this life. It's the outlook of Solomon who thanks God for the abundant wealth that he had, and it's the outlook of Habakkuk when he sees the judgment of God coming. Habakkuk chapter 3, which would have been prior to the events of Psalm 137 that we just read. Remember? The captivity, Babylon. Habakkuk 3 sees it coming sees this pagan nation coming, sees God's people about to be judged. They're unrepentant. And what does he say? Even if the fig tree doesn't blossom and there is no fruit on the vines, if the yield of the olive fails and the field produces no food, even if the flock disappears from the fold and there's no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. God's loving kindness is everlasting, even when all of that stuff happens. What has 2020 brought out in you? What has it brought out in you? I don't know why, but tea must have been on my mind. Thought of, you know, the the tea and the hot water, tea bag in the hot water illustration, right? Where you have hot water and you put the tea bag in the hot water. Right? It's not like tea gets created. It's just that's what's in the bag. The hot water just brings it out. Right? That's what 2020 has been. It's been the hot water that brings out what's in the bag. Just brings it out. Just comes out. And when we're saturated with the truth of God's loving kindness is everlasting, you know what comes out? Thanksgiving thanksgiving comes out thanksgiving comes out in 2020 why because god's loving kindness is everlasting it's the same yesterday it's the same in the future it's the same right now it's the foundation upon which we build on it's what we hinge our faith on that god doesn't make a covenant But God doesn't do these things and somehow take it back or somehow say, nah, I was feeling good then, not so much now. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do we practically think and act like he is? Because when the hot water comes, what comes out is what's in And for Christians, this has been a time and will continue to be a time of purification. It shows us who we are. It's like wiping off the mirror to see ourselves more clearly so that we might change and become more like his son. And for some, maybe what we see coming out is no thankfulness at all at which point we go back to Romans chapter 1 and we have to ask the question, are we even acknowledging God as creator and Lord at all? Because the opposite of giving thanks is being wise in our own eyes. It's being our own Lord. It's making our own gods. 2020 has brought out in us What we are, and it will continue to do so. And by God's grace, may it bring about a congregation of thanksgiving, not just at the end of November, not just at the end of the Thanksgiving Day parade, but a lifestyle, a worldview that gives God thanks. Think of Job, think of Habakkuk, think of Paul, think of these saints, think of our church history. The last 2,000 years of believers who had abundance and poverty, who had riches, who had disease. Yet, God's loving kindness is everlasting. And we praise God for that. It's not just the truth that we should be thankful to God. It's the reason or the why we should be thankful to God. It's what our thanksgiving is built upon. Okay, Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the truth of who you are, which as a result impacts how we think. Lord God, I thank you that you are a patient God, recognizing that we, circumstances are, are just really influential and the good and the bad and the highs and the lows. Lord God, these things, they can so easily sway our perception of you, our emotions, our responses to you. God, so often we're addicted to comfort. We're addicted to our way. We're addicted to credit. God, cleanse us from our thanklessness. And may we, in turn, be thankful to you because of your loving kindness. Because it never ends. And Lord, I know underneath the sound of my voice here this morning, there are people who look at this year, even years prior to, and wonder, how is it that you can demonstrate loving kindness in what happened in my life? And I admit, as a human being, I have a hard time answering that question. But this is not the end of the story. We know the end of the story. Jesus is king. All sin will be judged. And Lord, you will redeem your children. You win. And we can be part of that winning team, as it were, that family. Jesus Christ is alive. He has conquered our greatest enemy And for that, we thank you. Lord God, change us. Give us a disposition that is known for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Christ Church who model this regularly who exhort me to living in a more godly way. I pray that that would only continue more and more, that we would see souls added to the church, not just our church, but your body. And Lord, that we might see saints become more like Jesus Christ because of who you are and what you do. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.